0: My name is jack kelly and today we are joined by one of my all-time favorite professional athletes josh amberger josh is an australian professional triathlete known for the way he races he has led out of the water in almost every race he's ever done including multiple times at world championships he races off the front of the bike with aggression and a determination to put himself into a position to win this always makes races josh competes in bloody hard for everyone else involved he then runs with his heart in his sleeve leaving everything out on course In my time talking to athletes who have competed against Josh, I've heard them say, "Mm, sometimes I see Amberger's name on the list and I just don't even want to start. Josh has won the Ironman Asia-Pacific Champs 11 Ironman 70.3 titles and been on so many podiums, I literally couldn't count them all. Josh, how are you going, mate?
1: Oh, I'm good. Thanks, Jack. I might listen to that uh, intro um, before I take to the next uh, start line in my race just to pump me up a little bit. So <laughs> thanks for that.
0: <laughs> it's all true, mate. There's uh, there's not a single person in the triathlon community who doesn't respect the way you race, I don't think.
1: Uh, yeah. We'll
0: yeah. It'd
1: <laughs> be, be interesting to hear from my peers about that. But yeah, um, yeah thanks anyway.
0: <laughs> hey, mate, let's jump in. Let's, uh, let's talk about it. Can you just off the top – Take me through what a typical training week looks for you at the moment.
1: Um, Sorry, at the moment, I mean, it's it's getting towards the end of the year, and which means the end of the season, really. Um, and a triathlon season is basically what you want to make of it. So we've got racing you can do all over the world from kind of like January to to December so you kind of pick your your calendar and when you want to start racing when you want to stop racing enjoy some and enjoy some holidays so I'm kind of at that point now where I've got one more event left in a few weeks time and it's not exactly like the biggest race on the uh, circuit in fact it's probably hardly even on the circuit um, as far as like professional events go it's the Harvey Bay 100. It's just uh, basically like a, a local race in sort of central, well, not central Queensland, but it's on, it's on the coast. Um, it's a few hours north of Brisbane. So I'm prepping for that, and that's just simply because th- there's nothing really available for us to do. I can't travel anywhere. Normally we'd be looking at potentially like a half my race in Asia or somewhere in Australia to kind of um, wrap up the season there's Ironman Western Australia on in December but it's still kind of like you know we could get shut out of there at a moment's notice and I, for me I can't go through a full Ironman preparation kind of with that sort of uncertainty leading into an event so yeah we'll we'll wrap things up in, in Harvey Bay in, in a few weeks time so I'm kind of on there I guess yeah like my, my body's starting to get a little bit tired from from a year's worth of training. So what my training week looks like at the moment, it's basically just maintenance, to be honest. I'm not finding any form this late in the year. Uh, I can probably say like, like I can definitely say like some of my, my legs are are better than the others at the moment. Like my swim and bike is kind of pretty average, but my running's going really well. So um, yeah, just like, trying to maintain those levels so they don't drop anymore before I hit this last event.
0: Yeah. Okay. So with this maintenance phase, you're sort of in at the moment, is that because you've done a few races in the last sort of, you know, week, few weeks or a couple of months Um, and inside this maintenance phase, you're sort of going through how many like hours would you be doing a week? Like how much swimming would you be doing? How much riding, how much running?
1: So really, there's been like no racing at all to be honest um at least not compared to what I'd normally do in a year um and that's you know for obvious reasons I decided to stay home in Australia this year a lot like quite a few other athletes have traveled overseas um obviously you know that's has its challenges at the moment it's getting easier as we speak now though which is great but I'm kind of like in the phase of my career where I'm 32 and I've been doing this for a long time, pretty much since I left high school. I've been traveling to, to Europe and America and have been living out of a suitcase for at least half a year. So it was, it's kind of this, you know, 2020, 2021 has come at like an opportune time for me where I'm I'm an established athlete now and I've got, you know, a committed sort of team of sponsors around me and I didn't necessarily feel like I had the pressure to keep going out there and grinding race to race like I would have wanted to when I was much younger. So I've decided to yeah, stay back home this year, although it was if we did have a Ironman World Championships in Kona, which would normally have been a few weeks ago in, in October, I definitely would have gone over for that. But, yeah, that was postponed roughly August or September or something like that. So, yeah, we just haven't had any racing at all. So, But recently, like, it's kind of picked up a little bit. I did – I've done two triathlons in a row, which is amazing, just local events, a briby Triathlon, which is, like, totally grassroots – just probably like a few hundred athletes there. Um, and then the Nusa Triathlon last weekend, which is kind of like the, the biggest short distance race in the world with a, a professional field as well. There's normally like 10,000 sort of amateur um, athletes across the weekend. So it's like a massive event. So I've done those two. I've done a few other like road run races. I've got a 10K this weekend, the bridge to Brisbane which is going to be like a fun hit out just to try and lower the 10 K time down again. But yeah, the, forget the original question, <laughs> we were talking about maintenance phases. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I just asked like um, during this phase of training at the moment, like, yeah, how much are you actually doing? So how many hours a week are you swimming, riding, running? What does that actually look like? Yeah. I did ask about the races, so that was that was actually awesome to hear about that and really interesting to get – just like sort of get an idea of where you've been at over lockdown and how someone, you know, as an established professional athlete like you has been operating in that sense, so that was great.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'm still, I'm still needing like these big events to train for that I've been lacking to really get that motivation to kind of take my training to the next level. Definitely this year in general has been – much more productive than last year. Last year I was kind of just aloof, like Strava hunting most of the time um, <laughs> and absolutely like turning myself inside out in like the worst possible way.
0: Did you uh, Did you get any good KOMs on Strava?
1: Yeah, I think I finished the year with like 181 comms or something like that. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, so I,
1: I really kind of did a number on myself last year, like it, that that wasn't, it was good to like get the heart rate up a bit higher than mm-hmm. what it normally would be. But it, yeah, I d- definitely felt like some really deep fatigue last year. But this year, generally, like my motivation has been much higher because, you know, it's pretty clear. If you know who I am as an athlete, it's very easy to identify my weaknesses. So that's, you know, generally the latter part of, of like a bike ride in an Ironman and then running in general. So I've had like a lot of motivation this year to improve those and just generally like develop as an athlete. So, you know, that the maintenance I'm doing at the moment, it's still also in a lot of ways, like a development phase. And I'm really, really loving running at the moment, to be honest. It's something that over the years, like it's just, been really hard to train for because you know certain niggles and stuff are like holding me back and I guess anyone knows if you really want to get good at something you really have to love it so I've definitely kind of like rekindled that with running this year and I'm like really enjoying getting after it at the moment but that all being said like my training hours aren't anything like impressive and to be honest I'm not really the kind of guy who looks at numbers like week after week and make sure I'm like hitting the targets that I want to hit. I definitely, when I was much younger in my career and started getting like exposed to big races like world championship and major championship races in sort of Europe and the US, it was really easy to say, okay, like I need to train a hell of a lot more if I want to be good at this and I really started to like obsess in in the long term a bad way about like hitting numbers and you know like let's say like 500k a week on the bike is like pretty good mileage for a triathlete to hit in and around like swimming and running and you know r- running has its similar sort of markers like 100k a week and swimming might be 25 or 30k a week or you could look at hours like you know 30 35 hours that's that's pretty pretty big training I don't think I ever really went over 35 hours much but whenever I started to look at those numbers like a lot it always became quite unhealthy then to rely on those numbers to do the training that I wanted to do I'd started to just want to see patterns of like, you know, 30, 35 hours, week after week, after week, and it would always end up in injury or fatigue or something like this. So now as like, I'm a bit older and, you know, certainly like a much, much more mature in my training, I don't really look at those targets at all. It's more about like feeling that daily, like, yeah, just, just feeling from day to day, like, being very clear about the workout that I am doing why I'm doing it and obviously looking at the you know the next day as well and, and knowing what else I have for the rest of the week so at the moment I'm probably only training up to sort of 20 hours a week and because I've been, Cycling, sort of like in and out of you know these little hit out races here and there, the training hours have dropped out completely. So, pre Noosa try, I probably only did 15 hours or less training last week just because I had like the little three, two or three day drop down before the event. My coach at the moment, Cliff English, he's pretty big on you know, if you are racing, like there's literally no matter what sort of Level event you're doing, whether it's you know like local try or 10k or a bigger race like Nisa try, you always want to go into it with sort of freshness. Like there's kind of no such thing as like, or there's nothing productive in training through a race. Um, I think even like a like a short two day drop down window before an event can give you enough freshness to give you a like a really clear indication of where your training is and what you still need to work on um, in the next phase. So. Probably, yeah, for the next few weeks, even through to Harvey Bay, like I won't hit much over 25 hours. Um, Harvey Bay is a long-distance race. So already, it's pretty clear. Looking at my training this week, my coach wants me to ride my bike a bit more. So it's three days after Noosa Try and this morning I had a three hour, three-hour bike ride with 60 minutes of intervals I kind of woke up and looked at the training and I was, I was like, yeah, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and the session actually went really crap. So I've just come off the back afternoon. So the last two days I've been filming for a sponsor, a new product that we've got. And so I've basically like went from the race to like two days of filming and I'm like pretty cooked right now. So I kind of bailed on the session this morning and just missed most of the intervals, but just made up the, the time. So
0: I think people would be really interested to sort of go into that session. So what what exactly were those sixty minutes of intervals? How did they look and how close did you get to hitting them and that sort of thing?
1: Um so I mean training for a half half distance triathlon, um Harvey Bay's an eighty K bike. Normally it would be like a ninety K bike in a and a half distance, let's just say, yeah, let's call it long course or middle distance triathlon. It's not really um you don't really have to do anything like like fancy or anything it's basically about like spending time in your race zone to be honest so the session this morning was just a a warm-up it was 40 minutes warm-up and then straight into like a 20-minute half Ironman effort and then 10 minutes recovery and then 10 minutes um, a little bit higher so let's just call it like Olympic distance effort 10 minutes easy times two so it was just like a pretty simple breakdown totaling 60 minutes of, of time trial so I, I hit that first one and like average it was like 240 watts which is you know like I can race Ironman like 180k like higher than that that wattage and there I am like doing that for a 20 minute effort so it's pretty clear to me that, that like the body just wasn't responding this morning so I gave it like one more crack I basically didn't put it time to it I was just like okay I'll ride from this point to this point and see if it gets any better and it didn't it got worse it was like 230 watts the next effort so (laughs) yeah yeah, it was at that point it's like okay like there's literally no point in doing this and for that the duration of that second effort it was mostly about me not like trying to push the pedals really hard and produce an effort that just wasn't there I, I, I always like try and find something productive to do even if things aren't going really good. So it was more about me trying to stay relaxed in the aero position, um, try and work on a a few things with like my pedaling technique and my, my aero position that I've been really sort of chipping away at. So that was kind of like valuable time that I could spend doing something productive, even if, you know, the, the power wasn't there, which is as, as athletes, like that's kind of what you, you're always looking at and what you want to see because, generally you know like power is performance and <laughs> no. uh, but but there's everything else that goes into that equation like you know aerodynamics and comfort on your bike and things like this so like there's literally always something to be working on
0: i think that's actually so relatable because even like um you know you don't have to be a professional to, uh, to start getting obsessed with your, with your numbers and your wattage and or if it's your running, your, you know, what pace you're hitting. And I think we could all relate to that where, you know, you go out for a session and you have these intervals at this power or, you know, at this pace and it's just, it's just it, you're not hitting it, it's not working that day and it can actually like really bring you down. And I think it's really hard to go, okay, I'm not feeling this today. Let me still get something out of this session. I think what most people do is they just continue to try and hit it, and maybe bury themselves um, into a little bit of a hole, or, or even just like get really negative um, mentally about it, and it can sort of derail the whole session, and and even you know it can derail the the training week, or or you know the next few days. So yeah, that's so um, that's so interesting that you as you know, a really world-class professional athlete has those exact same days. Um, and just hearing that, okay, you're feeling that. So instead of throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater, I'm going to use that time to, um, to focus on something else. Like, you know, my, yeah, I'm going to get in an aero position and, and focus on that or my pedaling technique. And it doesn't sound like it, it really even phased you that you weren't hitting the power you wanted. It, it sort of, it sort of sounds like, okay, yep. That's, that's just another day in, in the life for you.
1: Pretty much. I mean, yeah, like in, a, in the context of having done filming the last two days, where you know if you've ever watched a marketing piece for a, for an Ironman triathlete on the bike, you're basically like trying to look as aero as you can and going full gas for it to look <laughs> yeah. any good. You know, you have got to be going full gas. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Like straight after a race, and you're doing full days of filming on the bike. Like it's <laughs> it yeah, like it's not good for your body, let alone your recovery. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and the person filming it just has no concept of how much you're actually hurting yourself. Like, you've just gone and done three minutes at 300 watts and they go, oh, light wasn't quite right there. Let's get that again.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I was filming with um, a guy, uh, you probably know him, Corrupt Vision. He does a lot of oh, yeah. uh, travel and stuff. So he's he's hubby of um, Liz Blatchford. She was two times uh, medalist at the Ironman World Champ. So he, he like has a good idea about like yeah what we're doing to ourselves and
0: yeah he definitely gets it
1: yeah but at the same time like he wants to get good footage too so it's a bit of a compromise but <laughs> yeah I mean it, it also harkens back to what I said before about when I was much younger um, knowing I needed to get better I was like obsessing about the wrong details and just looking at numbers on a bit of paper and and you know that I guess, leading to injury and, and, and burnout in the long term. It's just like the wrong things to to focus on. And it's very easy as an endurance athlete, specifically like an endurance athlete, to to obsess over um, your training because it's like the people who are attracted to the sport. Like you've got to be kind of like a little bit nuts to do, to do triathlon and long-distance triathlon um, and really enjoy it at the same time. So like it, it does attract people who love the details and love to see the numbers and kind of like obsess over patterning and repetition. And at the end of the day, like repetition is how we get better, but you, you have to have that maturity as a, as an athlete to know, yeah, when something is productive and when it's counterproductive. And I guess for me, I've had a lot of coaches and training partners and things over the years that have told me all sorts of different things but for me the like learning those learning that balance has come with basically like time and experience and and yeah that that's that time and experience has I guess resulted in sort of like an athletic maturity that I can now really um, trust and sort of be proud of and rely on moving forward into probably like the second phase of my career you know where I'm hitting yeah, you know, I'm early thirties and and still looking to kind of hit my potential in that long distance event.
0: Yeah. So I'm actually really interested in that. So Kona is, uh, or the Ironman world championships. Um, that's going ahead early next year. Is that right?
1: It is, but it's, um, it's not Kona. So, and so still a lot of people being around two trials and events the last two weekends, um, everyone's asking me like, Oh, Kona's in February, isn't it? Like, are you getting ready? And it's like, well, um, <laughs> it was postponed for the last two years. It's been postponed from October to February, um, but and then like in 2021, when it was supposed to be the 2020 event in February, it was cancelled. This year, it's moved. Um, it moved again to to February because it's this the story is like you know Hawaii was impacted quite a bit with the Delta outbreak and they just don't have the hospital beds to accommodate the race. And, and I mean, at an IMN event, you need hospital beds. Like that's the reality of the sport. So um, it ended up getting canceled quite early from that February spot. So now it's in May and it's in Utah um, in St. George. So they just held the, the 70.3 world title. So yeah, now it will be the first time in I think 42 years that the the race has been held outside Hawaii, so
0: is that the race that you're thinking about targeting? Is that sort of the next big thing on on the horizon for you?
1: Yeah, of course. You know, it's a it's a World Championships. It's I was having a a conversation with um, one of my sponsors yesterday that I have to renew the contract with, and they like they're keeping me on. Like that's the good news. Um, but it's just like Congrats. there's been no World Championships, and they kind of don't really have a measure on my performance as a whole because there's been no world title for two years. So they're, you know, they're kind of in a spot where, you know, they're going to keep me on, but whether they pay me more or not is, is, yeah, <laughs> kind, of, is kind of up for negotiation or potentially not. So it's, it's really interesting on how not having a world title kind of has this flow on effect yeah. for not, not only like your, um you know your performance and your perceived world ranking and things like this because we don't really uh, triathlon's not really a sport where we have like where you know where ranking is everything it's more about like like titles and things like this so it's yeah it just has not having raced a world title for a couple of years has kind of some really tangible effects um so and it's also just world champs is like it's that's where it is in our sport it's I get really excited training for it. And it's something like, yeah, insanely motivating because it's the only big, yeah, big races across the season, like Frankfurt and Roth and, and events like this in triathlon, they get big fields, but yeah, it's never anything like um, that one day in October um, when we have the Ironman world Championship. So yeah, in May um, we've got St. George, I think the, the course will suit me. It's I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a light man's course, but there's quite a bit of climbing and um, I think that will suit me um, quite well as like a smaller athlete. So uh, it, yeah, I'm like super excited for it. And it's also just going to be really interesting balancing that with the um, Kona in October next year. So we'll have the two world titles in one year um, in two different locations. So it's it's going to be like a yeah, a, I don't know potentially a year to remember for for long distance triathlon.
0: Yeah, so let's go back a little bit because you've obviously how many World Championships have you done?
1: Um, I've Uh, three. I've done three Conus. Yeah. Um, so I started racing Ironman in twenty seventeen. So I did,
0: and that was the one Cairns, wasn't it? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I went 17, 18, 19 at Kona. I've done like a lot of 70.3 world titles. My first one was in 2012. Um, I haven't done it every year, but yeah, I've generally tried to do 70.3 worlds every year where it kind of like suits me, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. So with the, with the Ironman World Championships, let's just talk a little bit about your build-up to them. So how has that changed from 2017 through to, you know, um, the last one you did? What, what, is, what exactly does a, does a training block for you look like leading up into the World Championships? So, yeah, how much are you doing? What are you doing? Walk me through that.
1: I mean, it's, it's always different because it's at the end of the season. So generally, you might spend your first the first half of the season trying to qualify for it. Um, and that involves obviously racing one or potentially more than one full distance I men. so that's kind of like a, a feat in itself and every single Ironman you're doing, you know, generally needs like a dedicated prep time where you're almost like forgoing other races because the training for it is so demanding. So um, whether or not you qualify first goal or not is going to, set the tone for how your season unfolds um to get to the world champs so in 2017 i didn't qualify the first time i did my first time in i was i'm in south africa in march and i i mean i had a good race but like it was it was my first one and i totally blew up in the marathon i kind of raced like pretty stupid um on the swim and bike i guess which is you know pretty similar story um for every time i've blown up um in an I-Man it's yeah like there's just been too much commitment on the swim and bike and not enough thought to the the full picture the the full sort of eight hours that you need to put to put the ironman to put a result together in ironman so i i was fortunate enough to then yeah go to my next one my next ironman go into that prep with like really high motivation to sort of, you know, right the wrong and get the performance that I thought I was capable of. That that um culminated in um uh it was like a really good six week prep for Ironman cans, which I won um and went a course record. So that was, I mean, off the back of the first Ironman prep, I sort of dropped in another six weeks. Um, a really focused, dedicated training for that Cairns event.
0: Take us inside that six weeks. What, does it, what did it look like? Because that Cairns race is, is very arguably your your best ever race, you would say.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And, and you've just said that you were super motivated and, and targeted a really good six weeks there. So yeah, what sort of stuff were you actually doing?
1: Mate, I'd like have to go back into the training diary. I was with a former coach at that time. So I was training with Cam Watt, who it's one of the the tri coaches so if if you know anything about sort of like the brett sutton sort of wave training it's generally high volume but not like not like norwegian volume or um, (laughs) anything like that Um, but like just a lot of a lot of strength work a lot of swimming for aerobic well a lot of swimming for the non-swimmers but for the swimmers, you still do a lot of swimming for the aerobic benefit. Pretty much all the bike stuff is like big gear um, strength work and running, yeah, like quite a bit of run running off the bike. So I think for me, for that race, I was really fit, but I also benefited that event from some, like an athlete like Cam Worth being in the field. So I actually when he... When he rode through me, I was able to ride with him for 50 or 60K or whatever. And then I eventually actually dropped him and arrived in transition first. So that, that race came together. Obviously, I was super fit for it. Um, but also, yeah, like it just – everything fell my way, to be honest, tactically. So that's kind of – What's been missing in my performances, I think, at the world championship level, I think I have arrived at the Worlds like just as fit as um, race days like Cairns. But it's such a different race tactically with that many more athletes in the field um, doing different things. And I haven't been able to respond to that tactically in the way that I've needed to, to put together a good race there. So pretty much every time I've raced Kona, I've, I've led out the swim three times, the three times I've raced there, um, led on the bike for a lot of it and just, yeah, never really made it through the bike leg with the freshness to then have a good run. And that's just simply because there's more firepower there. So I, I, you know, still need to improve on the bike, but also just, be able to read the race a little bit more, um, get smarter on where I invest my energy and perhaps have a bit more confidence to let the race go down the road if I need to, to be able to save the run legs. And that's generally been the hardest thing for me as an athlete, you know, being able to say, because I'm always in the lead. Like there's never an instance where I'm like a Sanders or a Keenler who's chasing. So it's, for me, it's, it's difficult sometimes to actually have the, you know, the maturity to back myself and back where my run form is and let athletes ride down the road and try and catch them later on. So I think that that's, that's those sort of patterns are are on the way out for me. And I have the confidence now to, to sort of read the races a bit more but yeah i mean going back to that cairns race it was everything came together but at the end of the day it was yeah like it wasn't it was still a championship race but it wasn't a world champs and that's where everything is like so much more significant for the worlds
0: yeah so when you're inside that world championships race right and and most of us listening to this will never get to experience that so you're you're leading out of the swim and you're out the front of the bike ride with some of the biggest names in in triathlon like um you were out out in the bike with um with Jan Frodeno for for a large chunk of the first like three, four hours of the race one year. And what's it like when you're inside that group and you're riding with guys like Jan and Sebastian Kinlay and Lionel Sanders, like you talked about, and, and um, Patrick Langer and, and big names like that. And, you know, what's the, uh, you've been in the sport for so long that it, I'm assuming it might almost feel normal to you, but but yeah, just take us inside that. Like, so you're out in the bike and what, what's going through your head? You're looking at these guys, you're you focused on your own race. Yeah, like what's happening in, in that moment?
1: I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things happening. Obviously, you've got, like, your own little personal things you're thinking about, like refueling, you know, keeping the draft zone legal so you don't get a penalty. Um, you're trying to read the conditions and what's happening, like, is the wind changing and this and that. Um, so there's always literally, like, a lot to... And in i if you're not thinking every minute, about when you're going to sip your bottle next, or take your next bit of calories, like you're already getting behind. So it's like there's a lot going on. It's such a long race, but you you have to really obsess and keep yourself um, in the in the moment to always be checking in on yourself and what you need to do to you know keep the body ticking over. But then yeah, of course, there's the the tactical elements that come into play. So. That first year I did Kona, I let out of the water and had a two-minute gap and I got caught, I think, about 40 kilometers into the bike um, and then I went off the front again. And that was really interesting because the reason why I went off the front was when I got caught, no one went around me. I think like Braden Curry came around me, but then he got a flat tire, so I was back on the front. And the problem was that third wheel, um, Jan Fredino was sitting there in, in third wheel. And this is this was the, the kind of that he he um, pulled up on a lead drive, like a few K into the run, injured. So mentally he wasn't there that day. He didn't race that well. And he actually he had, had words to me when he eventually passed me on the bike saying that I swam too hard and he, he didn't really sound too pleased with me. <laughs> but Jan Fredino sitting there third wheel as I I can't remember I mean I think he was defending champ that year yeah with him sitting there third wheel no one wanted to pass him so that ended up it basically I was stuck on the front and like I ended up just riding off the front again because like I wasn't going to be leading the group of 30 I didn't want to do that at all so I kind of was like well you know stuff is I'm just going going to go take the tv cameras up the road Um, and you know, that undid my race. Like it was stupid. I blew up. It's a ballsy move. I guess everyone who watched that race knew who I was at the end of the day. So, you know, there's there's still good things to take out of that, that race for me, but like, yeah, just yarn sitting there third wheel. He, no one wanted to go around him and that's been the same case for The next years where I've ridden with him, I think he didn't start twenty eighteen because he had that sacral stressy. But twenty nineteen, when he was obviously probably in lifetime best form and broke the record, he he was on the front and he's telling, you know, he's gesturing for us to roll through, and it's like, mate, I got like I got nothing to lose. Like you, I'm gonna let you do the work because like i'm not a favorite for this race i've got literally no reason to to get to the front and drive the pace for you so um maybe if i was much younger i would have been like like yeah i would have gone and done the work for him because i was probably a bit stupid but you know now like any what why would you um, roll through with If Jan's telling you to, he's the one, he's the best in the world. So not only do I think that like, he's obviously better than me, but I want to be smart about the way I race as well. And, um, yeah, they're, they're the kind of like the changes that I'm seeing now in in myself is to be able to just do what I wanted to do, but I guess be a bit selfish in the race and, and sit in where I need to. So yeah, that's kind of like what's happening out there in the pack is there's there's a lot of that stuff going on where you know athletes are looking at each other and it's basically like a pecking order where certain athletes are doing the work because they've got more to lose than others so it's, it's quite interesting
0: yeah and speaking of that um training wise are you taking any notice at all about what other guys are doing like you've just said that you know yarn's clearly the best in the world are you the kind of guy who would be like okay what's yarn doing um and, and try and figure out what he's doing and I don't know, replicated or or yeah. Are you taking notes in what anyone else is doing training wise?
1: Um, I mean, a little bit. Like since last year, I jumped on Strava. Like I've I've never used Strava before, but obviously that's if you want to know what someone's doing, like look at their Strava. So not everyone's posting, of course. Like you know, now I'm hiding like a lot of my stuff. Um, probably <laughs> only when, probably only when I get a com, I'm like. <laughs>
0: Bring it out there <laughs> make that public
1: just so i'm on the leaderboard but
0: <laughs> um
1: you know to be honest i don't obsess about the sport in a lot of ways other people do i know some of my competitors they'll basically know as much as there is to know about all the athletes sometimes you wonder how like people have certain bits of gossip or not and like I, to, to be interested to, to be honest i'm just not really interested in knowing everything about everyone. And I know that could be something for performance that, you know, could be beneficial to know more about where my competition is at and what their fitness is, but I'm not at the same time. I'm not really someone who's like really making myself feel confident by looking at others. I get the confidence by knowing what I do day to day and what I feel each week in the build up to a race and, you know, feeling that fitness and knowing that, that the form is coming. So
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't really place much value on yeah. Like scrutinizing every single aspect of my competitors lives. To be honest, like I find a lot of people uninteresting, so (laughs) I don't really want to even like follow them on social media or whatever. So
0: yeah, you have trained with some other other pretty sort of big name pros though in the past, haven't you? Like I know you've trained with Sebastian Kinley and you've done a bit with Cameron Worth. Um, is there anyone that you've trained with and you've just thought, I cannot believe how much they're doing, or like that session they're doing is crazy? Like I can't believe what I'm what I'm seeing here, or has it actually like when you trained with guys like that seemed pretty normal?
1: You know, it's actually it's actually funny. You know, like those two guys you mentioned. Um, yeah, like I've, I've trained with, I've lived with Sebi at his home and trained with him. And you know, Cam Worth brought me to Endora and, and I trained with him for a little bit. Um, both situations I'd go back to because they were both like quite fun and beneficial. Um, but at the same time, they're not guys who are doing um, insane, insane training. Like it's out, might sound funny because you know, Cam he kind of does do some crazy training, but it's all from what I saw in the weeks I spent with him, everything was purposeful and quite dynamic, really. Like when we, I was riding with, you know, the guys in the pro peloton in Andorra and when it's easy, like it's easy and when it's hard, it's full gas. And it's the same with Sebastian. He probably does like the least amount of hours than, than like most people. And I actually was training with his coach last year and this year um, I'm no longer working with him because it, to be honest, the, the style just didn't really suit me, um, but I wanted to give it a go. But Sebastian's just like high octane. He's like, he must be like the most um, gifted athletic, uh, the gifted most gifted male athlete in terms of like natural endurance that all he has to do is basically train his speed and power. Um, and how he gets Ironman performance from the training that he does is I tried it and it yeah it just doesn't work for me and it's like kind of really fascinating to be honest so yeah I've kind of seen like quite varied approaches to training if you'd ask me the question again about who's like doing crazy training um, like I wouldn't even really know to be honest I just don't know that much about other athletes and what they're doing but I definitely know like probably there's some coaches that are training the athletes in same hours maybe like Ryan Bolton um he coaches like you know Ben Hoffman, Sam Long, Heather Jackson like if I hear about the training they're doing I'm just like you know fuck that <laughs> like that's something that never really interests me is um doing those kind of workouts that's just like super long um very yeah, very repetitive, very long. Um, yeah, I'm not really interested in that to be honest.
0: Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite sessions? So, um, I would look at you and assume that, Hey, this guy loves swimming, but that might not be the case Yeah. What, during a week, like what are some sessions that you look forward to? And, and the other side of that, what are some sessions that you see and you're like, Oh, I'm just dreading, dreading that session.
1: Um, mate, I'll I'll like dread any session where I'm tired where I wake up and I'm tired. Um Mm -hmm. and it just just depends where my my motivation is. You know, like sometimes if I've got a long, easy ride, it's kinda like, oh, like do I have to do that? Like, I don't know. But (laughs) but then the next week I could be you know, that could be maybe my favorite session. Um it's hard to it's hard to understand why that is, um, to be honest. I I generally part of the reason that keeps me in the sport is that I love most aspects of training. So like, yeah, I love what I do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm competitive. I've been competitive all my life and I couldn't imagine ever like not being competitive in something, whether it's like triathlon or like cards at the family <laughs> dinner table or something. Relatable. Um, but yeah, I also just, just love training. I love, um, yeah, swim, bike, run training. And while some days going to the to the pool like is really shit, other days it can be. It's like the one thing that I want to do that day, and it's, it's yeah, it's just really hard to know why. Yeah, and that's I don't know. That's might be generally, generally like sports is and specifically like endurance sports and triathlon. It's like an imperfect science. Like what works for one thing, what well, what works for one person might not work for the other person, and. Yeah, as far as like enjoyment and motivation, there's no real formula for me. It's always variable, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Um, With you, obviously, like I just said, everyone sort of looks at the way you swim and is pretty amazed. Like, I would hate to know how many times you've let out of the, the swim in, in triathlons. It would be um, a ridiculous number. What's your, your swim training actually look like? Is it just because like you've swam since you're a kid and you, I know that you sort of raced pretty high level growing up and um, and that's your background. So now are you doing sort of as much swim volume as, as what everyone else is, do you reckon? And, and inside that, say your sessions... Um, what do they look like? What kind of um, pace are you, are you swimming for your intervals and, and how much volume are you doing and that sort of thing?
1: Um, for me, it's like I've gone through certain phases in my career with my swimming where I've had to do less. Like I've basically been in a maintenance phase for my swimming for probably over a decade, to be honest. Like yeah, wow. I was probably you know fastest when I was 16 or 17. Um, I still trained I I moved to triathlon full-time when I was 14 so um prior to that you know I was swimming 10 sessions a week and I don't know like it could have been 50k a week to be honest (sighs) but now like I'm not getting any faster in the pool if I really wanted to I probably could but it's just about like holding that level where I know I need to be um to you know potentially lead out swims I don't necessarily want to lead out every swim I do I think you'll probably see me leading less swims as I get older simply because I don't really need to lead swims anymore um, if I want to race smarter at the moment it's probably only 20k a week to be honest and I'd love to swim more um, if I really like if I don't know if if I enjoyed it I would swim more Um, probably 20 K is like a good balance where I can go to the pool and do, you know, a 5k session four times a week and not really feel that that's too repetitive or, you know, potentially have like burnout from feeling like I'm going to the pool too much. Um, I mentioned before I was, when I trained with Cam Watt, that was probably, I was probably doing 30 K or more a week. And I felt like a lot of that was like a little bit pointless. Um, there was like quite a few weaker swimmers in the squad and I was doing the same or generally the same amount of swimming they were. And when I was swimming more, of course, like I felt a little bit of benefit from that, but it also took away from my bike and run being able to not train for them as fresh as I could. Cause I was doing, you know, 7K sessions, you know, on a daily basis in the pool. So <sighs> it's all about, I guess, like, you know, if you, if you train more at one thing, of course, like something else is going to give. So probably yeah, t- like 20K a week is a good balance for me. And that's mostly the work that works for me in, in the pool is 100 repetitions, 200 repetitions, up to 400s, to be honest, just like sort of semi-short rest to short rest cycles, hovering around that race pace zone. Um, There's not a lot of times where I would do, um, you know, like a traditional heart rate set where you're doing like best average 100s or 200s because it just takes too much away from the bike and the run. Um, And on the same token, if I do too much sprint work, um, it'll, it'll take away from my freshness for the other, for training the bike and run as well. So I'm I guess I'm lucky cause I still have like a lot of natural speed in the water, um, that I don't have to train for. But in saying that, like doing two short course races, the last um, couple weekends, I can definitely say that as I'm getting older, like that speed is definitely not as crisp as, as what it used to be. So Um, I obviously have to be aware of that now as I I start to age as well.
0: Yeah. So when you're doing those sets, like the hundreds, the 200s, the 400s, what sort of pace are you hitting for them these days?
1: Um, Like it's nothing remarkable. And to be honest, like we swim um, in probably the slowest pool in Australia. It's like so like heavy, the water, and Mm. the pool's quite shallow. Basically, everything's going against the <laughs> speed in this pool. It's just like a, a good training house, really. Yeah. Um, but I go, I swim in that pool and I'll go to any other pool and literally be doing like five seconds, a hundred quicker. Yeah. Um, so it's quite funny. But, um, you know, anything around sort of 115 touch and go cycle is is really good. And you don't really need to be swimming um, faster than that for performance like in, in men's professional racing, at least in, in long distance racing. So, you know, if I'm doing hundreds, one fifteens is really good. Touch and go two hundreds, you know, you can push that out to two thirty. Um, but mostly I'll probably hover around two forty um, send off cycle. And you know, if I'm doing really hard four hundreds, um, that'll be anywhere from yeah, like five minutes to five minutes ten. Um, but yeah I mean like it's funny though because I I think I don't try I don't get the numbers in training some athletes might like if I'm talking to another triathlete they might tell me when they're doing 400s they're doing like 440s or something and I'm like damn like why aren't you leading the swims because I ain't seen like times that quick ever where I train Um, so it's kind of funny like I don't think that I, I uh, quite a few people have told me that, um, that from quite a few people that have trained with me, they've said that I'm definitely like a racer and I can always bring out my best performance on the race day. So.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you think that's just because that when it's race time and, and, and you're swimming in the open water, you're just significantly better than what you are in training? Or do you just think these blokes are, are lying to you about how fast they're swimming in training?
1: I mean, yeah, maybe a bit of both, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, like, I've been doing, I've been swimming that long. I know the level I need to go to in training to, to see the performance I want on race day. And I'm generally quite realistic about if I'm performing well or underperforming. So, um, but that being said, like different open water conditions suit me better as well. I quite actually enjoy cool like open water conditions rather than something really choppy um, simply because I think like I'm more of a finesse swimmer rather than like a strength-based swimmer, which a triathlete typically would be. Um, yeah. You know, kind of like a good distance per stroke and, and a nice clean water with like low swell to get the most out of my stroke um, rather than, you know, in rough conditions, you're just muscling through, which I yeah I have like nothing on the upper body I've got like chunky thick legs and I'm skinny as a rake in my uh, torso (laughs) so it's yeah kind of like an interesting mix and produces a different result in swimming yeah then potentially like a normal triathlete
0: yeah Hey, um, now jumping across to the run. So you said that at the moment you've really been enjoying your run training and that um and that you runs you're seeing like significant improvement there. How much um how much running are you doing? Sort of what's your weekly volume look like and what's it look like in a in a big week and when you're doing your easy jogs, sort of like what sort of pace are you are you running for your easy jogs and, and what sessions are you doing, all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, to be honest, like um so I've lowered my 10k time down in the last few months to like low 32 I ran um 3204 according to Strava um at a a 10k in sunny coast so like as far as like Ironman runners go it's not bad like it's pretty shit for 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 a short distance runner. you're never getting anywhere in Olympic distance marathon running 32 um but yeah off the bike in Noosa I went thirty-two thirty, So it was like a really good result for me off the bike. And I've pretty much been able to lower these run times down, basically like exclusively just doing more intervals and basically like strictly, strictly intervals, like low volume, but very specific to my race distance, like, you know, 1k repeats, um, 2k repeats sort of like, you know, maybe three k threshold runs off the bike and things like this. The Sunday long run is generally comprised of intervals. It might be like two by five k, and then finishing at the track with you know five by one k. And that's obviously like a a half Ironman sort of specific session. Um, but yeah, I've generally found yeah performance in my running from just really being in that race pace zone a lot. Whereas when I was training with um, Philip Seip, who's a you know German, um, he coaches Sebastian Keenler, as I mentioned before, when I was training with him the last year, it was pretty much he was just getting me to do like strides and 100 and 200 meter sprints and things like this for speed and it, did, it just didn't work for me at all. It wasn't relevant for me in any way. Um, and I think he's gotten really good performance from some athletes by this angle but for me it it didn't work so um yeah with cliff english my current coach we're just spending a lot of time in that race zone and to be honest i couldn't tell you how many easy runs i've done lately because i just haven't really done any everything's been very specific and very focused around um yeah those race pace zones which um at this time of year like it's really kind of kept me motivated and kept me honest in my training so you know, in the past, it's, you know, I really enjoy long, easy runs and I've just got into bad habits of maybe just doing too many of them um, and for no good reason.
0: That is fascinating because most runners would sort of do maybe, oh, they might do two sessions a week and then everything else they do, if they're running seven times a week, you know, the other five runs would probably just all be sort of longer, easy, slow runs, but you, you're not doing any of that.
1: Yeah, and you know th- some of these sessions aren't very long. Like, um, before uh, the sort of half Ironman session I mentioned before, uh, as a Sunday run, like two by two by five k, five by one. The, the the afternoon before that on Sunday afternoon, I might only do like I don't know, five by one minute or something, yeah, at like a five k pace, um, with a warm up and a warm down. So it's not it's not like a lot of work, but it's just generally a frequent exposure to, to that race pace zone.
0: Yeah. And are you doing most of your running? Do you like, do you go out and run on the trails or you're just running on um, concrete paths or, or is it all the track?
1: Yeah, I've got a really good mix um, of running terrain where we live in um, North Brisbane. That's kind of what's kept me here is we've got like a lot of trails, but the trails we have that, you know, you're not, you're not doing intervals or anything on them. They're, you know strictly kind of like just long easy run trails um you know fire hilly fire roads and so forth single track but we've also got like a lot of grass around here so we've got like rolling grass that's good for sort of cross-country style intervals um which i like to mix up for you know the one and two k and sort of tempo run sessions but we've also got like quite a long bike path network which is really good i find when I just need to, and it's concrete, so it's not the best, but uh, with sort of like super shoes these days, you can absorb a lot of that. So you can go run sort of 30 K Ironman runs on the bike path and not pull up too sore. So um, I also do like a lot of grass track work, very rarely on the Tartan track. Probably if I had one close to me, I'd use it, but yeah, we've got a grass track five minutes away. So it's like ideal for, for all my speed and track workouts too.
0: Yeah. And speaking of super shoes, what, um, what shoes are you doing? You're running in at the moment if you're, um, doing mainly faster stuff and you know, four or five sessions a week, basically what, yeah. What shoes are you wearing for that?
1: Um, so yeah, I've made, last year I made the move to on running. So I've been in the, on cloud boom echo, um, which I tested in prototype phase last year, um, running in the, yeah, the commercially released shoe at the moment, which is really nice. Um, and I've just heard, yeah, there's plans to update that shoe next year, which I'm really excited about.
0: And do you do any, um, gym stuff as well? Are you, are you ever in the weights room and and, and using that as part of your training?
1: I, I am, and this has been a little bit of a learning curve for me over the last couple of years. Um, but how I'm, yeah, how I'm using the gym has changed a little bit. Um, I can basically like look at a weight and I'll bulk up. <laughs> so I can't actually do um, much in the gym as far as like strength work goes. And this is something I've kind of, yeah, I learned the hard way the last 18 months when I was with Philip Sipe, he had me doing a lot of gym um, and quite a bit of strength work. And um, yeah, literally like I, I put on, like two or three kilos pretty much in just my legs alone. Um, and they're, they're big enough as it is. So, um, and nothing really transferred to me when, when I was doing weights and, and specific strength, nothing transferred to performance for me. Um, it was just like dead weight and I got slower, um, on the bike and the run and, It became pretty clear after I did my first two races earlier in the year, um, that was like Geelong 70.3 and Challenge Sheppard and they were both half distance races. I ran like, yeah, I ran the worst I have in years and that was pretty much just because there was way too much bulk. Um, So for me now, it's just about doing, like a lot of like basic stuff in the gym, like activation um, and connectivity work. So, for me, um, one thing I really got out of um, Philip, Philip Sype as a coach was learning how to get like a full body connectivity for my running, like just generally using much more arms. It was like sinking the arms and the legs up much more. Um, so, anything I'm doing in the gym is. Yeah, like catered around to, to activation and connectivity. So, so I don't really have to spend much work in the gym, which like suits me to be honest. It's not really a place I've ever really loved being. Um, I missed a lot of that work when I was younger. Um, I went through like a pretty heavy sort of self-coaching phase for like three years when I was younger. Um, and I never did any gym, so could have been good for me, might not have been, like, I'm not too sure. Um, But, yeah, generally, like, for me, my weakness in the sport is mostly, like, biomechanical, like, um, like specifically with my running is just trying to get my running technique much more dialed, Um, same with cycling. So the, the gym is definitely somewhere that's helping me with that at the moment.
0: Yeah. And to circle back to what you were saying there, that you sort of had two of your worst run performances pretty much just because you were a bit heavier. Do you focus on that? Is weight something you focus on? Is, is diet something you focus on? Um, how, big a, how big a role does that play in your um, day-to-day life?
1: Um, it is, but like it isn't at the same time. Um, I don't really like to be someone who's totally, – I don't really respond to being restricted by anything like – Um, and like diet is something like that i could probably squeeze like more performance out of myself if i had um or at least in like i could probably be a kilo lighter if i didn't love chocolate and dessert and stuff so much but literally like i mean i'd rather be happy than than you know (laughs) than uh than be that yeah, you know, sort of have, having to be so disciplined with things like this. So speak my language, maybe like, I don't know, if I ever go through a phase in my career where I'm so desperate for that performance, it's something that I could probably achieve, um, have like a, a better diet in terms of sweets and things. But generally I'm not really following any, any like structure in my diet. Like, you know, I definitely don't like blow on the, on the on the breeze of some of the trends that have come and gone over the years um i just try and eat eat rounded and healthy i've never really had any problem with anemia or anything like this um so yeah i think it's it's going pretty well for me at the moment
0: yeah hey um we'll wrap this up because i'm cognizant that that you um you've got other things to do but I really am fascinated on just a couple of things. Like there's two things when I'm out training with people that that I always want to know. Um, and two questions I always ask people. So I'll ask them to you. What's the um what's the hardest session you've ever done?
1: Um I don't know, Sometimes like the hard sessions are like the long ones or they might be like the short ones. It's probably something I'd, I'd have to think about but I don't know. I reckon anytime you go back to like a really hard session, you could probably think about the swimming pool, to be honest. It's like somewhere where, um, like you can just really, really bury yourself and you know, as long as you're a swimmer, you're not going to sink or whatever. <laughs> it's like, you can probably definitely like ride or run yourself into the ground. Um, but if I think about the days when I used to train with a swim squad, um, used to train with a coach called JR who's um, kind of been popularized in triathlon circles through coaching like Jan Fredino and Braden Curry and so forth from Noosa. But he used to coach here in the northern suburbs in Brisbane. So I grew up training with him as a swimmer and then he kind of was one of the key guys who pushed me towards triathlon as well. If Any, any time I think back to a workout I did with him, particularly swimming against the Olympians in the squad so I used to be about the same speed as Bronnie Barrett who's Olympic gold medalist um, multiple times in relay events I'm pretty sure yeah I used to swim like next to her um, and we were like perfect for pushing each other but yeah like anytime we do 400s we used to do like 12 fours and it would be six on five minutes and then six on 450 and um i could make the 5 and then we'd drop down to 450 and yeah that really put me through the ringer and i don't think there was any time where i could actually finish that session so yeah if if you want to find your limits i'd definitely say get in the pool with jr um at the nacer aquatic center cuz yeah you'll you'll find definitely find what your limit is <laughs>
0: I, uh, I spent a little bit of time swimming in that squad when I was um, staying up there to train and the very first day I, I went there um, I expected to see a few few triathletes there but there wasn't really it was it was really just me and um, a heap of young kids and uh, I was swimming in, sort of doing my intervals with a 14 year old kid um, yeah and we did 2400s that day and uh, I got dropped on the fourth and I never saw that I never saw that kid again
1: yeah I mean n- not many triathletes can actually hack their the training so um
0: it was insane and and the jr the guy um he was just so like uh he was actually really refreshing where you got dropped and he didn't he didn't care he sort of just called you soft and then moved on um in like sort of a playful way which was uh i actually almost sort of instantly fell in love with him
1: <laughs> yeah i i guess um yeah he's he's a really really nice character and personality and He's definitely like he'll he'll tell, he'll give you an honest assessment of where you're at, but it's in a way that doesn't put you down at the same time, which is yeah definitely refreshing. So um, yeah, he'll definitely give me his opinion every time I see him on how much better yarn is, and <laughs> um, that's that. Like he'll continue to yarn about something else in the next breath. So
0: little drive by,
1: yeah, and like for an eighty year old, he's like. I don't know. Have you ever been like inspired so much by like a, an 80 year old coach? Like, I don't know. I don't, like, yeah,
0: it's nuts. It, you. It's actually crazy because you look at him and he sort of looks, he does look pretty old and frail. And then, but then you talk to him and he has this real sort of presence and like, like sort of almost like you get this like strong vibe about him. It just doesn't really make sense. And, and you're right. He is a super motivating and, um, and yeah, really like breath of fresh air in in a training environment.
1: Yeah, I saw him on the weekend at Nusa. I don't see him very often, um, but he was telling me to you know come up. And we'll we'll hit <laughs> hit the camp, and you know you can go. And he like invites you to stay at someone's house. <laughs> yeah. He's like you can go stay with Alex, and you know we'll we'll get we'll get in the pool. Um, bring Ash up too. We'll get her fit and blah blah blah. blah. Um, and then like, so we make a joke about like, well, I you know better come on the training camp sooner rather than later. But he's like, mate, I'll be here. <laughs> and, but, you know, you're obviously making a joke because he had a health scare a couple of years ago. I think he needed a, a bypass in his heart or multiple bypasses. So it's like crazy. But yeah, he's like he's confident. He's, he's going to be around for a long time. So I mean, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah.
0: He, he definitely is. Yeah. Hey, that was awesome. Um, and, uh, just my last question is if you could give one bit of advice to everyone listening, one bit of training advice, it could be about anything to make them a better athlete. What would you give?
1: I mean, it's pretty simple advice. It's like just t- train, train. So, Train in a way that that makes you happy. You know, find enjoyment in your training. I think if you're looking for performance, enjoyment is going to be like the the best the best recipe. Um, finding that that balance that you need to, where you 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 still love the sport and you're not hating it. Some athletes can perform really well um, for a short period of time off like insane insane training, but if if you're not happy with what you're doing. It's never going to be something going to going to keep you around for as maybe as long as you want it or maybe even to get to your potential. So yeah, for me, um, if, if I'm happy in my training, then I can, I, I can train hard. I can train well and I'm still motivated by the time it comes to race day. I think that's something that's often overlooked is, is actually like training, for the race and not just like training to, to obsess over numbers and, and, and things like this. So yeah, definitely something like that.
0: Yeah, mate. I love that bit of advice because, um, especially now with like Strava and and training peaks and, and um and social media. It's it's so easy to get stuck in in the numbers and, and always trying to do what other people are doing or thinking you should be doing more or doing a session that you hate just because you think you have to. So that's great advice and um and I think the more people that that hear that the better. So yeah, thanks for that mate. That's what awesome. So let's wrap it up there. Um Josh, it was it was bloody awesome to have you on. I spent that whole um hour or we, we didn't plan for, to talk for that long, but I just spent that whole time completely entrenched in what you were saying, so I, I can't thank you enough for coming on, and it was it was an absolute pleasure. And and hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know everything goes well for you in the future, and you have a, a good build up into uh, into St George next year. And, and we're talking to you after stepping on the podium at World Champs.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks a lot, Jack. Um, but yeah, that was good to go in a little bit of detail, and yeah, hopefully people get some takeaways from it.
0: Awesome, mate.